three, two, one. Welcome to the David the Dog Trainer podcast, episode one nineteen. Back on our regularly scheduled programming. Yeah. Josh, what is what is good? First of all, it feels great that we're back on to our. It feels great to be back. Yeah, once a week, you know, it's yeah, just yeah. nice. <laughs> it's like yeah. what I look forward to sometimes. I know, you know. But uh, uh, you know, same old. Just been really busy. Living uh, the dream. Li- living the dream. Getting into summer over here. Yeah, you know, it's so nice. It needs to warm up just a little more, and just then we'll be there. Bit. It's a little chilly, but it's it's nice still. The sun is shining. <laughs> um, awesome. So hopefully everybody enjoyed our podcast last week. We did. Today's going to kind of somewhat piggyback off of that. I think we have some more formal dog training topics to kind of talk about today. Um, so last week's episode, obviously we had Kenzie from Brilliant Behavior Canine Academy here. She was shadowing for five days. She went home on Saturday. Um, and it was a great time. It was, uh, we, it was our first shadow program of the year we've done. Generally speaking, we don't do a ton of shadow programs. Um, it's advertised on our website. It's an option for people. Um, but I don't really push it very much. It's a big, it's a big time commitment for me because I, when people come in, like I want, if they're paying me to learn from me, I really, really, really want to make sure they're getting their money's worth. So I like last week booked up my schedule i made sure there was plenty of lessons for her to sit on like a good variety of things to see i made sure that you know in between the lessons all that kind of stuff we had plenty of time to like sit down and go over things and and i really try to let the the shadow student like control where the week goes Mm -hmm. you know like i want to get into what they want to get into right where i know some places that offer shadow programs they have like a curriculum they kind of put the people through which is fine obviously that's i think that's great and i think for somebody that's like really really new that's a great idea but generally speaking if you're going to be going and shadowing with somebody there's specific things you're looking to get out of it Mm -hmm. right and there's a lot of fine tuning to your business that you're looking to do. And I remember when I was I was in that position, I didn't do a lot of shadow programs, but what I did do was a lot of phone consults and stuff. And I had really key things I was looking to get out of those. So I like to keep myself as available for them to go through all of that kind of stuff as best as possible. And obviously you heard her talk a little bit mm-hmm. about her experience here. It was really wonderful having her in. Um, it was it was it was really fun to work with. And since then I've been getting a lot more requests for uh, business consults via Zoom. That is something that I offer as well. So if you nice. can't make it down here for a shadow program, um, what I primarily will do with people is hour-long consults where you mm-hmm. could just pick my brain on shit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I always tell everybody I, I don't think that I'm the greatest dog trainer or business owner on the planet, but um, I've owned a dog training business now for eight years, which is a pretty substantial time to be self-employed for. I think they say generally most small businesses go under within, what, the first year or two years, yeah. I think is what the, what the thing is. Pretty so much. I think, I think we've made it through that, obviously. And I tell everybody, I've made every goddamn mistake on the planet. Mm-hmm. I, think, yeah. I think just about every one of them. I'm sure there's more that'll pop up, um, but I've made quite a few mistakes, so... Um, you know, if I could help you combat some of those things and avoid making some of those mistakes and maybe shorten your learning curve a little bit with stuff, uh, I love doing that. So I did one yesterday morning with a trainer that is in Virginia, kind of outside of the D.C. area. It was a great, great call. We did did an hour with him. I got another one scheduled with him for uh, next week. He's in a position where he's working. He's been around dogs for a long time. Um, but he has been working as like a pet dog trainer because he was in kind of some, he was doing some, I think like shuts and stuff and different sports stuff like personally, Mm. but he's been training pet dogs now for like two to three years and he's, he's working for another company 
the company I believe is owned by like a, a friend of his, like a longtime friend of his and stuff like that. So he's mm-hmm. got a little bit more like influence and, and kind okay. of control of things, obviously, which is yeah. why he did the business consult, right? I think he's trying to help his 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 buddy kind of grow this company. So um and, and it's it's really interesting for me to see as I do these business consults, consistent issues that I see clients and trainers have, right? Okay. Um so for example, like letting people steer the conversation, right? A lot of his questions were centered around how do I get clients to commit more to programs, right? Which I would say mm. is a, actually, you know what? I, I'm going to pull something else up here also. Okay. Hang on. <laughs> do, do elevator music. <laughs> We got no, elevator music. Yeah, it was it was nice to to have McKinsey on here too. To is it Kinsey or, or McKinsey? It's Kenzie. It's Kinsey. I okay. don't know if that's short for McKenzie or yeah, not. But, but we'll go with Kinsey. But it was nice Kenzie. to have her on here and hear her side of, you know, what she got out of being here for that week. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it was it was really cool to see that the the gears turning in her head. Yeah. Of like, oh, that's what I could implement immediately. Like, yeah, and and not to like beat the dead horse and keep reiterating these things by any means, but again, like training is kind of training right Mm. like when you're looking at teaching a dog skills and things like that like Mm. you could pretty much learn those things from anybody right and i would say most trainers out there even younger trainers they um even younger trainers they 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 understand how to train things they know the Mm. philosophies of shaping behaviors and rewarding behaviors and correcting behaviors and stuff like that Mm. but i think a lot of younger trainers don't have the ability to trust their instinct to be critical of the things that they're doing and the things that are being preached in the dog world, mm. right? Yeah. Um, which is where what I want people to get away from me when I'm talking to them, when I do this phone consult, when I have shadow students come into town, is to look at the training you're doing, right? And really ask yourself the question of why you're doing some of the things that you're doing. And yeah. as Kenzie said, ask yourself, are you doing some of the things you're doing and teaching some of the things you're teaching? Because they actually are necessary parts of a program, right? Mm-hmm. And necessary for a client's success. Yeah. Or are you teaching them um, for the sheer fact that you've been told you need to teach these things to have a trained dog? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, I think that's a, a very, very, very important critical thinking ability that that trainers need to be able to develop is, is looking at that a little bit more. Yeah, right? 100%. So anyway, so so it kind of goes hand in hand with so uh, Sean from the Good Dog made a post this morning, um, and it's an interesting post, and I don't disagree with it by any means, but I want to kind of talk about it here, right? Okay. So so Sean made this post, and it's like a tweet that he he screen grabbed and then posted, right? And mm-hmm. it says the three most common reasons trainers list as to why they're frustrated or dislike their jobs, right? Mm. So, and I think this came from, I believe there might have been like a force free post that said um, the three most common reasons why owners said they had a bad experience with a trainer or something like that. I yeah. think this is like a combat to that kind of thing. Whatever. Uh, okay. So, here are the three reasons, right? So, owners are too soft, owners are too selfish, owners are too lazy. And then he said, now owners can be angry with this list or they could see it as inside information to unlock success. Right mm. now, I don't disagree fully with this, mm-hmm. right? But again, 
Another getting back to skills that I think younger dog trainers need to develop mm-hmm. is taking this kind of information. Like they, this may be things that trainers list as to why they're frustrated with their clients, obviously. Yeah. But let's look at them and say, how do I meet the client halfway with these things? Because yes, yeah. I think in some cases, a key to success for some people is they need to be harder on their dog, right? Some people yeah. are too soft on their dog, obviously, mm-hmm. right? I think that sometimes owners want things that are unrealistic out of their dog, right? Or they want to do things with their dog that is unrealistic and yeah. and, and just frankly doesn't provide any value to their dog. Like a lot of the, like, you know, taking really fearful or reactive or aggressive dogs to like really populated public places yeah. and patios and, and wanting to go to parties with them and, and this and that, right? That kind of comes from, we could call it a selfish place, right? Because yeah. we could look at it and say, our dog doesn't like that. Why would I take them somewhere that they don't like going to if I don't absolutely need to take them there? But Mm. we want them to be able to go there, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And then the owners are too lazy side of things, right? Again, I think sometimes there can be a degree of owners want a quick fix with things, right? I've run into client after client. I'll I'll give you an example, right? I I have a a client that I've, I've worked with a little bit here that has had some issues with her dog chasing her cats in her house, right? Mm. And... She she's having a really hard time getting it under control, right? Mm-hmm. And and I I'm getting the question from this client, or I've gotten this question from this client a decent amount of times of, can I just send my dog to a board and train to have the prey drive worked through, right? Mm-hmm. And that mentality is coming from this place of like I I I just. I don't. I either don't want to do the work, or I'm not capable of doing the work to get past this issue. Mm. So you just do it, right? Yeah. So, so I do think in some cases, right, owners aren't stepping up to the plate enough to be able to work through things in the way that they need to work through things. True. Right. But now let me present the flip side of things, where I get to like meeting people halfway with this and kind of getting yourself out of this state of mind. Because anytime you start going finger point, finger pointing finger pointing Mm -hmm. you're not having success because you're too soft you're not having success because you're too selfish you're not having success because you're too lazy right Mm -hmm. what happens is one you become resentful of people right true and two your ability to coach them through those types of things just goes out the window right Mm -hmm. because you're saying this is a problem with you you've got to fix this problem right there's nothing i could do to help you unless you could fix these problems Right. Yeah. But if you look at our job as dog trainers, I always tell everybody like we're dog trainers, but we're also therapists. We're also life coaches. <laughs> we're also strategic uh, analysts oh, that could that could can, can we're coaches that could roll the footage of the things people have done wrong and point out the mistakes. And yeah. we're this and we're that and we're this and we're that. We provide so many different services to our clients and if we want to truly be successful with them we've got to understand that and master those types of things right so yeah so let's look at these three things right so thing number one owners are too soft now what things might i be doing or not doing that put owners in a position where they stay too soft on their dog right one is educating people on what does being more firm on your dog mean Mm, yeah right sometimes people just think being more firm on your dog is just yelling at them more channeling the dog voice and telling them sit no this that right some owners think that it just means zapping their dog into oblivion with the e-collar which what the fuck why the fuck would they why would they want to do that yeah right yeah some owners think it means 
restricting freedoms. Like I did a phone consult with somebody the other day who's living at home with their mom and a couple siblings and stuff, and they're having some issues with their dog acting out towards other dogs in the house and, and, and I think the siblings in the house and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things she told me is she said, you know, I started noticing this stuff, so I immediately uh, uh, stopped letting the dog up on the furniture and doesn't sleep in the bed anymore. He sleeps in the crate now and this and that. And some people think being more firm on your dog is just restricting freedoms like that, right? Yeah. Which obviously we know doesn't really have a direct correlation to those types of things. Like I think the age old saying of like, don't let your dog on the couch, right? Or don't let your dog sleep in the bed and stuff like that. Though there are some situations that's an important thing to do. Like if your dog were guarding the bed, right? Or guarding Mm -hmm. the couch or any of those types of things, nixing that privilege could be beneficial. Mm -hmm. But just restricting those privileges because your dog is being too reactive on a walk, right? Or because they're being uncontrollable when... Um, when guests come over the house or any of those type of things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you could run into a situation where people try to do those things all day long and you don't get anywhere with it, right? Yeah. So some people think being more firm on your dog is that, right? So, so helping to educate them on what does being more firm on your dog mean, where do you need to do it, and why is it so important to do it, and how does it mean that you're not a, it, it's not like you're mad at your dog or you're not like you're having a, 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 a or giving them a hard time about stuff or anything like that. It just yeah. means that you're communicating something more clear and you're being more motivating about the consequences you're providing. Right. Yes. I'll, I'll give you another example. Right. So we got a client we're working with recently. <clears throat> it's a uh, small dog, I believe, like a Chihuahua mix Bridget's working with. Mm. And um, the client is, is a little bit older. And, you know, she's living in, I think, like an apartment or a condo or something like that. And the dog is basically putting her in a position where she's going to get kicked out of the apartment, right? Oh. She's barking constantly when she mm. leaves the house, really reactive, this, that, right? So Bridget's taking the dog through the training program. She's working through things. They started the e-collar training with the dog. And when they started the e-collar training, the lady's like, and and she said this in not like a, not a bad way, right? Like it wasn't like she was like trying to control the program or anything. She's like, is there any way we could do this without using the e-collar, right? Mm-hmm. In her mind, and, and Bridget was like, why? She's like, I just feel, I feel like, I feel like it's me. It's being, I'm being mean to the dog if I use one, right? Or this mm. or that, right? Yeah. Um, so, so understandably, this owner is already a little soft, we could say, right? Yeah. She's soft to the idea of disciplining the dog, yeah. right? Now, are there issues that she's having outside of the, the, uh, dog barking incessantly when she leaves the house? Like, yeah, there's miscellaneous things here and there, right? <clears throat> so so we tried to meet the owner halfway with this. Bridget asked me, she's like, what should I do about this situation, right? Do I have to use the e-collar, right? Is there a way that I could help this owner? Because she feels bad for the lady, very mm. nice lady, right? Doesn't yeah. really want to use the e-collar. She just wants to not get kicked out of her fucking apartment with her dog. Yeah, 100%. And I said, you know what? Definitely, we can meet this owner halfway. Because if I say, here's the problem. If I say, no, you have to use the e-collar. Right, we've mm-hmm. got to use the e-collar for your recalls and for your leash walking and for your sits and for your this and for your that. And I basically go from this lady's already hesitant to use the e-collar to we have to use it for everything because that's what people yeah. say we should do. Yeah, right. That's what trainers say we should do as far as that's how we should enforce commands and this and that. 
that's going to put this lady in a position where she's going to want to really heavily fall back on those old soft ways Mm -hmm. and not use it long term. Yeah. Right. And then her progress is going to deteriorate over time. Right. Mm -hmm. Additionally, we started talking about it. And in her mind, she needed to be less soft, obviously. But the idea of her being the one that's doing it, that's correcting the dog. Right. Makes her feel bad. And yes, Mm -hmm. these are emotional hurdles that we want to help the owner work through. Mm -hmm. But again, I always tell everybody, I tell trainers, I tell everybody, be critical of your work and really ask yourself the question, right? That question would be so easy to say, yes, you have to use e-collar, right? Mm -hmm. But we asked ourselves, we're like, do we? Is there a way we could solve this problem without using the e-collar to help this lady feel more comfortable with the process Mm. and still make sure we could provide a high enough degree of training to work through the goals, Mm. right? And I said, you know what? I think there is, right? Now, what's one thing that we could do right off the rip, right? We could stop the barking to make sure that she doesn't get kicked out of the apartment. And what's one thing that we could do that doesn't involve using the actual e-collar and doesn't involve the lady actually being the one that's correcting the dog for stuff? We can get a fucking bark collar. And we could just Mm. put a bark collar on the dog when she leaves the house. Yeah. And because... The bark collar is only happening for the one thing this lady really, really cares about, which is the dog barking. And she knows, I really don't want to have to correct this dog, but this has to stop. Yeah. Right? That is the pain point. That is the single thing she hired us for. Mm -hmm. And we're positioning ourselves where we could use the bark collar and have it be automatic so she doesn't have to be the one that's actually going in and correcting the dog. Yeah. That is going to help this lady be confident that she could help this dog, she could work past this issue, she could feel confident in knowing she's not going to get kicked out of her apartment. And furthermore, we educate her on, because a bark collar is 100% consistent of correcting the dog every time they bark, after one day of using it, just putting the bark collar on the dog alone will stop the dog from barking because they know anytime they've ever done it, they've gotten corrected for it, which actually in some cases is more beneficial than the e-collar. Yeah. Right? And then I asked Bridget, or I think actually we were in our trainer's meeting with it. I think Michelle asked Bridget Ashley. She's like, do you think you could help this lady with all the rest of her training without the e-collar? She's like, yeah, I think I can. It's a chihuahua. Yeah. Right? Like, come on. I mean, like, it's like Bridget's the chihuahua <laughs> yeah. whisperer, yeah. first of all. Tiny right? Dog. And yeah, training tiny dogs. Um, and second off, right? Like, the dog doesn't have major, major issues outside of that. Right? Mm. It needs some structure. It needs some rules and stuff like that. But we don't need the e-collar in order to provide yeah. that. Now, listen, I caveat all of this with we can't allow clients to control everything we do obviously Mm. but what is our goal in the training process when people hire us for training it's to help them solve Solve the the problem problem. they hired us for right that solution solves the problem that they're hiring us for and i'm not needing to bend over backwards in order to solve that problem Mm. i'm not not doing something that's going to be the most effective option because the client is saying they don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. I'm doing something that is going to be one of the easiest methods in order to solve that problem mm-hmm. and catering to the soft mentality and helping the owner to be able to understand how this is going to help them and help them be firmer in the area where they need to be firmer. Yeah. Right? So that's thing number one. Yeah. And you're helping them out instead <laughs> of just trying to you know, like mold their expectations and their wants into this stiff, you know, program or whatever. You're 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 yeah. working with them to get, like you said, the exact problem they're having, mm-hmm. you know, fixed immediately. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I think that's the big thing. The big thing, the big takeaway, uh, I mean, from the last two podcasts that we've done, is just like, you got to, sometimes you just got to like. Just listening more to people. Yeah, you, you got to listen to them. Yeah, and, and don't, fitting them into a box is just, generally speaking, always going to be a bad idea. Yeah. You know? So let's move on to the next one. Owners are too selfish, right? Mm -hmm. Again, like we talked about, I don't disagree with any of these things. None of this is like Sean is wrong by any means. I'm just trying to provide kind of caveats and further information to help take this information and really run with it. Mm -hmm. And, And this post is like he's talking to the owner. He's saying, listen, these are things that are going on with you, and you should work on these things yourself, which I agree with, right? Mm -hmm. But now what I'm doing is I'm taking that and I'm talking to the trainers, and I'm saying, owners need to work on that stuff, but we need to also work on helping them be successful in working on those things, right? So the being too selfish thing, like I talked about, what's one of the most common places that we see this, right, is... And owners, keep in mind, owners do this subconsciously. Even though it's coming from a selfish place, they're not Mm. always 100% conscious of them doing it. It's having things happen to their dog or trying to fit their dog into this box of something that the dog is not Mm -hmm. good with, right? So I'm going to read a comment that I got or a message I got. We're going all over the place today. A message I got (laughs) today, right, from somebody that kind of talks about this. Mm. Here we go. Here it is. So this, this, uh, this girl, Al, messaged me yesterday, last night. Okay. <clears throat> and she said, hi, do you guys have any videos or resources on stranger reactivity and greeting issues? Our one-year-old rescue has some anxieties, but it's never been unmanageable. But recently, he started barking and lunging at new people or people on walks who say hello. Mm. Okay. Now, again, I'm reading between the lines here. Right. I replied back to this person, obviously, but 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 I don't know all the details of their dog or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, when I hear that, here is what that means. Right. What that means is they have an anxious dog. Right. Mm-hmm. Because the world has told them that when they have an anxious or fearful dog, they need to have that dog better socialized. Generally speaking, over the years as they have these dogs, they try to socialize the dog repeatedly on the walk and have people come up to them and pet mm. them and have the dog go up and sniff people and, and, and this and that, right? And the dog is not, the dog doesn't want that, right? Mm. And every time it happens, the dog is seeing us put them into this position, mm. having something scary happen to them yeah. and seeing us not handle that scary thing. So they're learning that reactivity works in making those people go away, right? Mm. Now, again, there's a lot of variables to this, but the number one thing people need to just start doing when they have reactive or aggressive dogs is just understanding that your dog is telling you they don't want to interact with people or dogs. Yeah. Right? And our mind goes to, when we see that, not our dog doesn't want to interact with people or dogs, so let's stop trying to force them to do so. Our mind goes to, we need to fix the problem of yeah. our dog not wanting to interact with other dogs or other people. Yeah. And that is a flawed mentality because, and again, caveats, here, a lot of, lot of different directions this can go in, right? Because I do agree that we should work on increasing our dog's threshold to things, but generally speaking, that comes from two things. One, understanding, accepting that the dog doesn't want to interact with people or dogs anymore, mm-hmm. right? And two, once we eliminate people and dogs trying to 
interact with our dog all the time, holding the dog to a higher standard and telling them you can't just be outwardly aggressive and reactive towards people that are leaving you alone. Mm. Right? Yep. <clears throat> and again, being mindful of the situations your dog, like if, if going to a really crowded, busy park is a lot for your dog and they get stressed out in it, Again, sometimes it's good to to push them through some of those types of things, but sometimes you if you just accept that your dog doesn't like that and if you want to mm-hmm. go have a beach day, you just leave your dog at home. Mm-hmm. Just understand that your dog is so much happier when you leave them at home, right? So the selfish side of things, right? It's helping people. What we can do as trainers is we could help educate them on that better, right? Mm-hmm. Because I've almost never run into a situation where when I've explained, really explained to people that your dog doesn't like this, right? You're unintentionally forcing your dog into situations they don't like, which is causing your dog to lose trust in you, which is causing them to handle scary things on their own in aggressive or reactive manners. And it's because you're trying to force them to be something that you're not. The second clients, and on top of that, that your dog, you're taking your dog to these places, one, because you want to take your dog there, but two, because you think you need to be providing this to your dog right? That they need this engagement and this mental stimulation and all these types of things by going to all these different places, mm-hmm. right? When your dog is just so much happier just staying at home. Yeah. So much happier. Mm-hmm. You are providing a better life by not taking them to those places in some cases. Yeah. And when you explain that to people and you really just step back and you don't like blame them, like you're messing up your dog by doing this and you just educate them like this is what your dog really needs from you. I've almost never run into situations where people have combated me on that. Yeah, because people love their dogs mm-hmm. and people want to provide what their dog needs in order to thrive. And the second you help them understand what their dog needs in order to thrive, and especially when that involves doing less. Yeah. In a lot of cases, <laughs> that helps you out so much. Yeah. Right. So yeah, from the right. selfish side of things. Right. Again, yes, we need to work on that a little bit. Right. But we also need to do a better job of educating people on that. And some of that can come down to explaining the training process more and reframing people's mind from fixing the dog to understanding the dog, which is something I talk about so much. Training isn't about fixing a dog. It's about teaching a set of skills and a set of behaviors and communication system and teaching people what the dog needs from you, meaning what situations to put them in, what situations not to put them in, how to increase their threshold to things in a way that the dog is actually going to thrive in. Yep. Right? Yeah, instead of doubling down <laughs> on, on trying to take them out and socialize. Yeah, because in a lot of cases, when you have dogs that are like really reactive or fearful, you triple down yeah. on putting them in those situations. Yeah, you're like, oh, we're going to work through this, you know? 100%, right? It's funny. I, I did a, a session the other day. I can't remember if I talked about this on the last podcast or not, but I'm going to talk about it again. Okay. No, I, I wouldn't have because this was after Kenzie left. Right? Okay. I was talking about this dog with her, but oh, we didn't okay. talk about this. Okay. So I went and did a follow-up lesson with this dog, Tarzan, which I've talked about a couple times on this podcast because he was one of the dogs that we discussed that was on gazillions of like 100 milligrams of medication and, mm, and, and whatever. Yep, yep. Couldn't have people come over the house and this and that, right? And listen, like, like Tarzan likes me, but like Tarzan doesn't like people in his house. Right. Regardless of if it's somebody he likes or doesn't like. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've done maybe like four in-home lessons or so. They live like around the corner from the facility. And um, each one of them, he did great. He we put him in his bed and he just stayed in his bed the whole freaking time I was there. Right. And then we talked for a little bit and then they released him, put his leash on. We took him out to him for a walk. Right. And that was like our routine the first four times that I came over. Yeah. The fifth time, I think it was the fifth time, whatever. 
I went over there. This was just a couple days ago, right? And he was on his bed and he held it and he did fine. And he does great with that. Super neutral, right? He doesn't want yeah. people fucking with him, right? Yeah. He just wants to be left alone over there on his bed, yeah. right? And as we put him there and just left him there, it went from session one, him freaking out while he was on the bed, to session two, kind of freaking out, to session three, which was like a little whimpering and whining and stuff, to session four, he was calm, to session five, he was on his bed, totally calm. And then they released him out to take him for the walk. And when they released him, he came running over to me, dude, like tail fucking wet, like yeah. so excited to see me yeah. because we worked at his pace, Yeah. right? Those first four times he said, this is a lot right now. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to do my best over here, hanging out, right? He was socializing, right? He was seeing, smelling, hearing me, mm -hmm. right? Um, but it was just a lot for me. He's like, people are in my house. I'm uncomfortable with it. So I'm just going to stay over here. And because nobody messed with him, that's what he needed to mm -hmm. thrive, right? Yeah. To that last time, because we worked at his pace and we had no expectation of him loving me in the house by any means, mm -hmm. what wound up happening is exactly what we wanted. Yeah. He, on his terms, at his pace, mm -hmm. started to enjoy my company. Thus, and he came running over to me. And I'm like on the ground with him, rubbing him up and hanging out with him. He was just loving it. And literally, I looked at his owner's faces, and they were just sitting there, and they were like, wow. Like, yeah. that's, like, that's, I think they literally <laughs> said, that's new. Like, we've never <laughs> seen him be like that yeah. towards somebody coming in the house before. Yeah. Right? And it was so cool, because that was that point where we were able to sit back and talk and be like, that's, that's just what your dog needed. You know what I mean? He just needed to be left the fuck alone, right? And he needed to not be forced to interact with people because we thought that he needed to interact with people. And because I helped coach them through that and they understood and were just okay with him just being on his bed when people came over the house, yeah. Over as time went on, as the months went on, right? He started to actually like people being over the house. And that's what I did with Vinny. I tell people all the time, right? Vinny was sketched out by new people initially. He was a little weird. I was scared of them and grumbling yeah. and growling and stuff like that. And for months when I had him, nobody messed with him. He would sit on his bed in the fucking corner of the room when people came over. And that was just it. And I had yeah. no expectation of ever releasing him. And now he is so good when people come over the house because we just worked at his pace. Mm -hmm. Worked at his pace yeah. with no expectation because I knew what he didn't like. And I was like, if you just hang out on the bed the whole time people are over forever for the end of time, whatever. It's not like we're having people come over 20 times a week, you know, mm -hmm. like once a week, if you sit on your bed for three hours, like it's not a problem. Yeah. Right. So that was so cool. And that kind of goes hand in hand with educating people on how this stuff works and spending more time on it. Right. There's a difference between, I think a lot of trainers, especially ones that have been in this industry for a while, right. They kind of start getting jaded and they give people their spiel, right. They give mm -hmm. the people their spiel of like, like people say, well, how do I socialize them when people come over the house? And you just say, well, just don't just keep them on the bed in the corner. <laughs> and that's it yeah right and like what confidence does that allude to anybody right mm -hmm. what 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 like understanding does that give everybody on like why you're doing that yeah. why it's so important <laughs> and why your doesn't like your dog doesn't like it and yeah. why that's actually beneficial for your dog to do it and all yeah, that kind yeah, of stuff yeah, you know yeah. what I mean like you just spend more time coaching people on that and I think a lot of people are missing the mark on that because mm. they're too hung up on the training side of things True. they're not hung up enough on the educating the owner side of things mm -hmm. right 100% so that's the the selfish that's the selfish side right mm. And then the last one. This is this is the biggest one. The owners are too lazy side of things. Again, mm -hmm. I don't disagree with Sean by any means, right? Mm -hmm. I think that he is correct to an extent that sometimes people just don't put in the work, right? People look for the quick fix, 
right? Mm-hmm. And and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yep. But, but, let's zoom it back a little bit here. If somebody is paying you a large sum of money to help them with something, they have a thing they really care about, right? And instead sure. of taking a nine-year-long approach of you've got to do all these different things and you've got to work on all these different commands all the time and you've got to spend hours of time every day training your dog and, and, and all of this, right, which is where people get to the people are being lazy about it yeah. and hold them to this unrealistic standard of, of expectations of things they need to do long-term in order to keep this dog successful, mm-hmm. you will never be truly successful with your clients, right? Yeah. You need to be able to look at the situation and ask yourself the question of what is the easiest possible way that I could help this person achieve their results? right? Mm-hmm. And maybe that's coming from owners are being too lazy, but I'm going to meet them halfway. You're going to have to do some work. There's nothing yeah. that we're going to do that's going to involve you doing nothing, mm-hmm. right? You're going to have to be consistent. But if I can make it as easy as possible for you and as digestible as possible for you, when you actually go to do that stuff, you're going to stay consistent about it because you're going to see rapid results. And I think this is getting back to like a force-free conversation and stuff. This is where force-free training doesn't work is... Mm. Because inherently people are lazy, yeah. right? People don't want to have to do tons of work with stuff, mm-hmm. right? So the more you complicate it and, and the more you get into the conversation of like, oh, well, force-free is possible, but it just takes longer yeah. and it's harder to do and this and that and this and that, people are definitely not going to do all those no, types of things. never. Right? So that's, you know, that's kind of the, the overall topic here that I wanted to get over. As I saw that, that message that I got last night, I thought all this kind of went hand in hand mm-hmm. as far as breaking down, like, it, and it also goes hand in hand with, again, the, the trainer consult side of things and the things I commonly talk to trainers about, which is these concerns that people have. Mm-hmm. And this is what I educate them on, is, is let's take a little bit of responsibility ourselves, right, and mm-hmm. see how can I help them even further to overcome those three hurdles that we generally will see with them? Yeah. You make a, a really, really good point with that is if someone is spending, you know, usually, I'm, usually I, I guess you would see it in a board and train, but, you know, three, four, five, whatever, thousands of dollars to get a dog trained, like they obviously care a lot about that, yep. that dog where the perception is wrong is they're thinking, oh, I send it to a board and train and it's going to be magically fixed. So where the the problem is, is not really the person. It's, it's not you communicating like, yeah, our, the dog's trained, but then we got to You still got to keep up with it and all this. Like yeah. it's, it's your responsibility to make sure you translate that to the owner. Like, yeah, the dog's trained, but it doesn't mean anything if you're not going to. And being ready to like, repeatedly communicate that to the owner. Yeah. Right? Understanding that the psyche of somebody signing up for a board and train is that regardless of what you tell them. Mm-hmm. Right? And the first time they do start experiencing hurdles, like like you may communicate to them like it's not a quick fix, it's going to take some work, right? Mm-hmm. And it might take a lot of work. And the problem is by saying it might take some work or it might take a lot of work, that also is a subjective term. Yeah. What is a lot of work? <laughs> really? Right? Yeah. What are hurdles that I might possibly experience once going home? And you could even get into specifics of those things with owners, but until they actually experience it, they might have a different expectation of those expectations that you already set. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, and true. then they start realizing it's harder than they thought it was going to be, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then you have to recalibrate again. 
right? Yeah. So being prepared for those types of things, and that's where like the human therapist side of things kind of comes into play, right? Is yeah. you have to be good at being able to to calmly work owners down from from different hurdles or frustrations they're going to experience along the way. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. So it's an interesting topic, right? Yeah. And, and you know the the consult I did the other day, right? Like we were breaking down because because he had very similar concerns, I would say, which is. My clients don't come in for their follow-up lessons post-board and train, and Mm. my clients are hesitant on using training tools and, you know, all these different types of things that we were able to kind of break down. It's just the way that they're structuring things out currently. Like, they have board and train structure right now where, you know, I have my notes up from from the consult, where they're doing a five-day board and train, a 10-day board and train, a 15-day board and train, and they just started offering a 20-day board and train, right? Mm. And the problem is... You don't, like as a, as a trainer, you don't have a whole lot of wiggle room in in helping to get more committed clients that are going to receive that information that you're providing them mm-hmm. when you're doing such like short programs. Because the nature of a five-day board and train program is this is going to be very, very appealing to everybody and it's going to be at a price point where pretty much anybody can take advantage of it, yeah. right? So you don't really get that like emotional commitment from people in something that short. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, where, where unfortunately, like when you're a, a, a younger trainer, you're developing your name for yourself or anything like that, you kind of got to take what you get, you know, and you're going to experience a lot more hurdles like that. But, mm. you know, as you build like brand and you build trust with your clients and you build a reputation and stuff like that, you can be more selective of things, which definitely helps with a lot of that stuff. Yeah. You know, 100%. So I don't know. I thought that was a thought that was that was a, a pretty interesting point, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> and you know, getting back to like that message that I got, for example, right from the the girl about her dog that's being like reactive towards people. Like I really, I really want to drive that point home a little bit more. As far as just like just stop. People need to sometimes just unless they know exactly what they're doing to keep their dog successful. Less is so much more when it comes to socialization right? Mm. You really, like every time you have your dog try to meet another dog, right? Out on the street, Mm. right? Or people come up to your dog or this or that. The risk to reward of like, maybe your dog will really like it, right? And maybe your dog will, you know, get all excited and stuff like that. But maybe your dog won't like it as much as you think they do. And every time that happens, you're losing trust in your dog. I want to pull up something else that kind of goes hand in hand with that. Let Let me pull this up real quick. All right. You know, I'm, <clears throat> what I just keep thinking about, too, is, you know, back in before Miracle Days, like <clears throat> being at the at the east side and, you know, all these dogs that would come in for socialization mm-hmm. or doggy daycare, whatever, and they would just be shut down every day. They would just be in the corner, yep. whimpering, hiding, and, and it was like obvious. And I remember you guys would tell people, they would tell people, mm-hmm. hey, like your dog's not really liking it. Well, he'll he'll start liking it. And it was just always like, it'll be fine. It'll be, you know, yeah, it's yeah. like, but the dog's obviously not having a good time. Yeah, yeah. You know, because that large that. group format is just not productive, yeah. you know, and that's why we stopped doing it. It's because a lot of dogs would do great. Others wouldn't, you know, yeah. and we switched to like our daycare structure now. Like we had a lot of old clients like give us some flack over it because we went from 
having a like seven to seven doggy daycare, 12 mm-hmm. hours a day, drop your dog off. They're going to be out the entire time. Yep. Right. We went from that to we did a like boutique uh, day service, right, where mm-hmm. you drop your dog off and your dog gets one training session a day, one walk a day and one social um, one individualized social time per day, that will be a minimum of 30 minutes, right? Yep. And people gave us so much of a hard time over that because like at a minimum, your dog will get about an hour and a half worth of uh, uh, time out per day that they're with us, right? Which is obviously substantially less than 12 hours, mm-hmm. right? Obviously, if your dog is more social, we'll use them in other socials and stuff, and that could, could get way longer, obviously. Yeah. But for the ones that just get that hour and a half or two hours a day, it's so much more beneficial for them. Oh, yeah. They're getting total individualized attention. The walk is 100% about them. The training time is 100% about them. And mm-hmm. the socialization, right? All those dogs that would come to daycare before or have gone to other daycares and just kind of shut down and don't do anything because it's overwhelming for them. We're picking dogs that are perfect for that dog. We're saying, all right, this dog's a little shy, needs to be poked out of its shell a little bit. So let's pick two dogs that are a little bit more rambunctious and totally friendly that'll kind of help ease this dog out of their shell, right? And every dog that comes to us now for socialization thrives in their individual social. They have so much fun in it because mm-hmm. we're catering it around them. And even though they're out less, again, less is more, right? Yeah. Like the the shorter socials that they're getting now are so much more productive and the dogs are enjoying it so much more, right? We were given a lot we were given a lot of flack for that initially, but it's it's so much more productive and it's it's because people have a hard time with the the less is more concept, you mm-hmm. know, because they don't understand it, which is why we're, we're obviously doing this to talk about it. But getting back to, you know, the 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 greetings with other dogs right? On leash, right? A lot of people, it's one of the biggest mistakes we see. I just want to read real quick this blog post that I made fucking forever ago. (laughs) I don't even know. Well, this I posted, this I posted on the Miracle Canine Training website five years ago, it says. Yeah, it was posted five years ago, right? And I wrote this blog post way longer than that. I wrote this when we were still with Heights. (laughs) So this, I probably wrote seven plus years ago, right? So it's called Why Unleash Greetings with Other Dogs Can Be One of the Single Biggest Mistakes You Make with Your Dog. I, I wrote this on like a, a WordPress website. Oh, wow. I had my own personal blog. Yeah. It was a WordPress blog, right? <laughs> <clears throat> All right. So unleash greetings with people and dogs are the number one cause of behavioral issues on the walk. They cause reactivity, condition excitement, and put dogs in immensely uncomfortable situations. Let's break this down. First and foremost, the number one reason why we discourage on-leash greetings is due to the unnecessary social pressure that it creates for the dog. In ideal social situations between dogs and dogs or dogs and people, the dog is free to roam. If they Mm. get stressed out due to another dog or person, they could get up and walk away, giving them space and reducing the social pressure. And then piggybacking off of that, another thing people, people just need to help their dogs in social situations more, Mm. right? So like, for example, the reason why we've we've made posts about this like jokingly before the reason why people that say oh dogs love me are mm. so toxic to dogs is because they try to interact with the dog when the dog is off leash the dog says not not into this and they go away and that person pursues them they won't leave them alone because they're like dogs love me you should love me right now mm-hmm. right yeah so we as owners we need to to be mindful of that and we need to start checking our fucking friends and family that do that shit because mm-hmm. that shit is fucking your dog up <laughs> It is. It is. 
Um, being on a leash is very restricting to most dogs. They are stuck within a four to six foot radius of you at all times and are very aware of it. This puts them in an innate position to tap into their fight or flight responses. Since they do not have the ability to flee, we see them find alternative ways to deal with the stress. You will see this in two major forms. The first and most common is in leash reactivity. Your dog will quickly begin realizing that barking, growling, or lunging makes other dogs or people go away before they have a chance to approach, meaning they will start proactively doing it right? So because people have invaded their space so much and they don't want people to invade their space, what are they going to do? When that person is seven feet away, before they even start coming up to him, they say, fuck you, don't pet me. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The other major sign that we see is your your dog aggressing on the dog or person to make them go away. Next, let's take the example of a dog that is not nervous or fearful, but overly playful and social as can be. There are a few major reasons why we still discourage on-leash greetings, even with these dogs, because that's the other one everybody says is, well, my dog loves dogs. They love people. They're not scared of them, so I need to let them meet other dogs on the walk. Hmm. The big thing we want to avoid with a social dog by eliminating on-leash greetings is conditioned excitement. Classical conditioning is a beautiful thing. Classical conditioning is making associations, right, with neutral Mm -hmm. stimulus. Except when we are accidentally creating responses to things that we don't want our dog responding to. By allowing your dog to say hi to every dog or person that they see on the walk, we are essentially telling them, get excited every time you even see a dog. This itself, or this shows itself in pulling, barking, and other unwanted behaviors, making it very difficult for you to keep your dog under control. Keep in mind that these issues can go from 0 to 60 very quickly and turn from playful energy to aggressive and dangerous behavior through continuous rehearsal. So you can teach your dog to just go through the roof fucking excited when they see things. I've used this example with Vinny at the park a lot of times because mm-hmm. I did all this Mondio ring training in fields and bite work and stuff like that. Yep. Him just seeing fields created a conditioned association of him getting jacked up through the fucking roof. Mm-hmm. We had to work on that. Yep. The last reason is more of a precaution that we take than anything. We don't know the other dog. You could have the most social dog in the world, but if your social dog says hi to another dog that doesn't like it or isn't quite as social as the owner may say, you could wind up with your dog being attacked. And that in itself will cause a whole other slew of unwanted side effects. You may not be concerned about this for a number of reasons, but the reality is that I see dogs every single day who have been attacked by another dog on the walk. It just isn't worth taking the chance. So again, you know, seven years ago or so, and still rings so fucking true, right? So so yep. I write those things, right? And I make these posts, and I talk about this stuff on the podcast, to getting back to helping owners pass these things. Mm-hmm. Another thing I think Kenzie asked me, and this guy asked me that I was talking to him on the phone yesterday doing the business consult with, is how do you develop client trust, right? How do you get Mm. people to commit is by just over the top providing beneficial content that will help them understand what we do and how we do it Yep. so that they can ultimately provide the things that they're going to need for the dog to be successful. Yes, 100%. (laughs) That sip of coffee. That's it. What do you think, Josh? No, that was great. Um, I mean, everything rings true to, at the end of the day, I mean, it's it's all about how you communicate mm-hmm. with your owners, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you can do anything and everything for the dog, but if, if you're not having a clear communication with the owner and what their expe- expectations are and what is a reality for their dog, you yep. know? 
mm-hmm. then you're basically not helping them. Yeah, <laughs> I guess that's that's what I get out of all of that. You know. Yeah, you got you got to help your clients more, right? And mm-hmm. you got to understand the issues that they're going to have, right? Yeah. If we could reverse engineer these issues and figure out. Why is the client like that, right? That's what a lot of like successful life coaches and stuff and therapists are able to do is they take the issue that their client is experiencing, right? The hurdle that they're not able to get past and they reverse engineer and try to just dig back to like, why are you this way, right? Mm -hmm. And Caesar Milan's newest show, like Better Human, Better Dog. And I think they did this in a little bit of a tacky way in it. Mm -hmm. But every single episode, they fit in a segment of why the dog, or, or sorry, why the owner had certain hurdles they couldn't get past. Like, yeah. What the, like, like an owner, there was one episode where like an owner, like he put her, her rambunctious lab on a leash, right? Mm. And the lady started crying because she said, it makes me so sad to see my dog leashed in the house like that or something along those lines. Oh, Lord. It was ridiculous. Like, he literally yeah. just put a leash on the dog. He didn't even do anything. Right? Yeah. And she started crying from it. So they had this like, long sit down where he's like, why does that make you feel like that? Right? And they got to the bottom of you know, during COVID, she, you know, got really sad and depressed because she was in the house all by herself and, and she was feeling suicidal and um, the dog was there to help her prevent her from killing herself, basically. Mm. Okay. Right. And every single one of these episodes had some sort of big thing like that. Yeah. Like there's a hurdle and then they sat down and they talked about why do you have this hurdle and they reverse engineered it. Right. So once they had that information, they were able to solve that problem, though, and help her understand how to overcome that so she could be better for her dog. Yeah. Right. 100%. So, again, in the show, it was done in a tacky way, but we need to do those things with our clients ourselves, Mm -hmm. right, where we could help them to overcome those things so they're not selfish, right? Mm -hmm. Why are you being – if I educate a client on all those things that they need to do and why it's so important, and I really thoroughly explain it, and they're still like, I just feel like I need to take my dog to this park or whatever, right, Mm -hmm. or this patty or something like that. Then we have a deeper conversation that it's our job to have Mm -hmm. of – why do you feel that way? Really? You yeah. know? And there are some clients I've had where I've really needed to like sit down and be like, guys, like what's going on? You mm-hmm. know, like why, why are you having such a hard time, yeah. you know, not doing this, mm-hmm. right? Or doing this or whatever it may be, right? And we really, you know, if you've done a good job of helping your client feel safe in those lessons, you could get people to really open up to you about things, yeah. right? Like I've been told some crazy shit and lessons before from people. You Mm -hmm. know, like personal things that they probably haven't told very many other people before, you Mm -hmm. know, and that information sometimes is critical for helping them to really get past stuff, you know, so I just want people to dig deeper, you know, dig Mm -hmm. deeper and help them more. Right? don't just look at it like you're lazy, you're selfish, you're too soft, right? Like Mm -hmm. really figure out why. You know, and just challenge yourself to help them more. And again, it's not going to work always. There's going to be some people that are just lazy, Mm -hmm. right? There's going to be some people that are just selfish, right? But but some of those cases you might just discard, right, because of that. And just be like, write that person off. You can't be helped, right? Some of them you probably actually can if you dig a little deeper. Yeah. Even even if you meet them halfway, like you said, you know, Mm -hmm. if we can come to some common ground that can help your dog this much to not go off the walls you know yeah progress over perfection yeah exactly i like it well that actually worked out great yeah it's a nice little episode yeah i liked it 
So hopefully you guys can digest that information, take mm-hmm. it, run with it. Run. And uh, we'll, we'll keep plugging away next week. Yep. So we'll see you on 120. All right, guys. See you.